pick up quickly where we left off last Sunday. I know last Sunday was a holiday, and many of you were were perhaps tied up doing other things, but I just want to give you the peanut version here, the pint-sized version of last week. My passion is that we would have a zeal, that, that that God's Word would move up a few notches in our lives this year, that we would believe Him, that we would read His Bible, uh, that we would believe that the, uh, the Word of the Lord is just that, that this is God choosing to speak to us, that we would kiss it, love it, hug it, read it, eat it, and obey it, so that we would be blessed and prosper in all that we do. I tried to set you up for success this year. Is that all right? You guys okay with that? I tried to set you up for success. I'm trying to get you on the right track so that you're heading in a direction where God can do amazing things in your life. But if we neglect this, uh, it's to our demise. And I was sharing with you, you know, you can't say you love God, you love His Word, you're a serious disciple, but that you never pick this thing up. If this, if this is just on your shelf or this is on your coffee table and you are kind of a casual reader, you know, drive-by reader, you pick it up, glance at it, put it back down, it's going to be to your own demise. And basically what you're saying is, God, your Word's really not that important to me. Now, we would never think that, but isn't that exactly what we're saying? If God has chosen to speak to us and we neglect it or ignore it, then we're basically saying, you know, we're just too busy, other things are more important, God thanks, but I'll catch up to you later, Uh, appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, but you know, it's not that important to me right now, I got a lot going on. I mean, God forbid that we live that kind of God-dishonoring way. And so I encouraged you, thank God for do-overs. 2017 is a big do-over. Whatever we didn't do right in 2016, we get to do it over in 2017. Yay! All right, if there's areas where you were in neglect, you can change all that. Isn't that great? You have the power to change. You're not a victim of circumstances. All right, you have the power to change. All of you that are my age and older know that that was the Three Stooges. Kids these days, I tell you. All right. So let's talk about flawless and talk about, I I shared that I was going to get into what the Bible teaches about itself. What does God have to say about his word? And I'm going to help you out here in in true teacher fashion because there's an acronym I want you to remember. It's the word SCAN. Everybody say SCAN. S-C-A-N. SCAN. And I'm going to give you four attributes from scripture. I'm only going to hit two this week. I'm going to hit two next week as the Lord gives us permission to do that. Uh, but I want to give you what they stand for, all right? What do the letters SCAN stand for? First of all, letter S is sufficiency. Everybody say sufficiency. Is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to think or do? That's the question of sufficiency. Is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to think or to do? The letter C is for the word clarity. Everybody say clarity. Here's the question that the word clarity addresses. Can only Bible scholars or experts understand the Bible correctly? Or is the Bible clear enough for everyday normal folks like us to understand? Number three is the letter A, which stands for authority. Everybody say authority. How can we know that the Bible is God's word? That's a good question. How do we know that the Bible is God's word? And then lastly, number four is the word necessity. Everybody say necessity. And here's what necessity deals with. For what purposes is the Bible necessary? Why do we need the scriptures and how much can people know 
uh, without the Bible, all right? That's the question of necessity. So the, the, the acronym SCAN are the four pillars or the four attributes of what God's Word says about itself, okay? It's, it's what we know about the Bible from the Bible. All right, let's take a look at the first one. The, the, we're going to look at sufficiency. I'm going to give you three sub-points, and then we're going to look at clarity. I'm going to give you three more sub-points. So hold on to your horses. We're going to fly through this this morning. All right, first of all, here's the question sufficiency asks. Is the Bible sufficient? In other words, the word sufficient means is it adequate for the purpose it was given? In other words, why did God give us this Bible, and is it sufficient for the purpose for which it was given? So we need to ask, well, adequate for what purpose? Or is it enough for what? What does it mean that the Bible is sufficient? Okay, This attribute means that the Bible contains everything that we need for the knowledge of salvation and godly living. This book contains everything that we need for the knowledge of salvation, how to come into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, and so that we know what God expects from us. Now, let me just put a brakes on right here. How many know if there is a God in heaven, a God who exists, a God who's real, then the logical question we all should be asking, it should be the question right on the tip of our tongue, is this question, what does God expect from me? How many of you know, since God does exist, there's probably no more important question than we could ask. Because you don't want the answer to this question, or you don't want to ask this question when you're standing before him someday. How many of you know, it's too late. So I'm trying to help you guys out. I'm like the teacher giving you the answers to the pop quiz before you get there. Because you're going to stand before God someday. And at that moment, you're not going to go, oh no, did I live the kind of life that I should have lived? Because it's going to be too late. So you want to be asking the question, what does God expect of me right now, and where can I find the answers to that all-important question? This makes sense to everybody. I'm trying to help you out. Everybody add 100 years to your life right now. Where are you going to be? At the same place as your neighbor. Dead. All right? And at that moment, have I got everybody's attention, Okay. At that moment, what I'm talking about right now, you're going to want to know that I really paid attention to what Pastor had to say on that second Sunday in January of 2016. Because here's the issue. 2017, I'm sorry. (laughs) Those old habits are hard to break, aren't they? All right, 2017. Let's talk about sufficiency. I want you to look back to where we were last year. 2 Timothy chapter 3, last year, last week. I'm having trouble with this time thing. I stepped into the eternal. I've lost track of time. All right. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. Last week, here's where we were at. Paul writing to Timothy. He says, And how from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings, which are the Hebrew Scriptures, that's what Timothy's Bible was, the Hebrew Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. There we have it. The main purpose of the Scriptures is to give us the wisdom that leads to salvation. And I love the way the Amplified Version translates this because it gives us an amplified meaning about what faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Look at what it says here. Surrendering your entire self to Him and having absolute confidence in His wisdom and power and goodness. I want to ask you right now, I want to ask you personally, have you done that personally? Have you demonstrated faith in Christ so that you surrender everything you are to Him 
and that you trust his wisdom and power and goodness for your life. That's what it means to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the scriptures first and foremost. I mean, you know, the Bible doesn't give us answers about every single thing in life, but listen to me, it gives you the answers to what matters most. Because the day is coming when you're going to face the Lord and you're going to stand before God and you're going to figure out at that moment whether the life that you lived was sufficient or that whether or not you placed faith in Christ and the sufficiency of his work on your behalf. That's what's going to happen. And then it's forever, all right? It's forever. It's eternity. And so the Bible gives us the answers to what matters most in life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 with me. It says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your life will last forever. Why? Because it comes from the eternal God, or from the eternal living word of God. Where does our life come from? From the living word of God, from the spoken word of God. The Bible's desire in God speaking to us is to, to not only give us information about God, but how I many you know this is a living book? The Word of God is supernatural and it awakens things in our lives. It causes revelation knowledge. It causes us to be born again. It causes us to see the glory of the Lord. It causes us to, to repent of our sins where we need to. It's supernatural. That's why I want to warn you. Touching this book, reading this book, opening this book is dangerous. It can change your life. You can have a God encounter that changes your life forever. Come on. That should add some excitement as we approach God's Word. But secondly, it's sufficient to show us how to live a God-pleasing life, which should be all of our questions. How do we live in a life that pleases the Lord? Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We, We touched on this last week. All scripture is inspired by God and useful. Check this out. Why is the Bible useful? It teaches us what's true. We are living in an America culture today where nobody knows what's right or wrong because we've embraced moral relativism. So isn't it interesting? We can watch horrific crimes, horrific injustices, and if you say to somebody, well, what did you think about that? Is that wrong? People trip over themselves because the worst thing you can say in America today is to actually judge somebody's behavior as right or wrong, good or evil, you know, whatever. That's the worst cardinal sin of moral relativism is to have an opinion that you actually believe and that applies to everybody. Here's the good news. We don't have to walk around in this life wondering what is good or what is evil. We have a Bible where God has spoken to us and God has taught us what is true and he's making us realize where we're wrong in our lives. The absolute standard is not your feelings. It's not your neighbor's opinion. It's not the evening news. The absolute standard for truth in my life and your life and for every human's life, I don't care when you've lived or where you've lived is thus saith the Lord. That trumps everything. Thank God he has spoken to us. It corrects us. It teaches us. We learn what's right. We learn what's wrong. And it teaches us, the Bible says, to do what is right. That's why God has spoken. 
Now, it would be a foolish thing for God to say, don't do that. I don't like that. Do this. I want to bless that. Pastor Dick gave us some great examples of for communion today. The 7,000 promises of God. What is that all about? It's the fact that God is taking the time to tell you what he likes, what he blesses, what he doesn't like, what he judges. Thank God he has spoken. We should be, of all people, the most happy people that we're not running around in total darkness trying to figure this out on our own. God has shared with us what matters to him. Look at Psalm 119. I'm reading from the message version here. I love the way it says this. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. Listen, thus saith the Lord. I like to put that in front. This is not Pastor Ron talking. Thus saith God Almighty. You are blessed, God says, when you stay on course, walking steadily on the road revealed by God. You are blessed, God says, when you follow his directions, doing your very best to find him. That's right, he says. You don't go off on your own. You walk straight along the road he has set. You, God, prescribed the right way to live. And check this out. Now you expect us to live it. This is so awesome. I shared with you last week, we have to be anchored in the word before we can advance in in the kingdom. In other words, there needs to be roots going down. Why am I preaching this message? Here's my vision for us. I want you to be oaks of righteousness, not little saplings. You know, I had some wimpy pear trees in my front yard. They were beautiful. Anybody have Bradford pear trees in your yard? I had two beautiful Bradford pear trees. They were spectacular, but they're wimpy. One storm came through, literally snapped both trees in half. They're wimpy. What's a pear? Pears are wimpy, all right? They're They're not strong. Oak trees, on the other hand, were not touched by that storm. They yawned at the storm. I want you to be oak trees. How do you become oak trees? You find out what God says, and you build your life on what God says. That's how you become an oak tree. When the winds blow, and I told you last week, we were, we were in uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3, there are going to be storms coming. There will be opposition. There will be challenges in 2017. Thus saith the Lord. But they're not going to blow us over. Why? Because we're rooted on the Word of God. Because we are not ignorant, and not just we're reading it, but we're applying it to our lives. I love this. Stay on course. Follow His directions. Walk straight. You know, I remember this ridiculous commercial that came out. It showed this little boy growing up, and he was in school, and they had the color, coloring sheets out, and all the kids were coloring nicely. And on the commercial, he's scribbling outside the lines. All right, And then it fast forwards, and now he's driving his cool, hot car that they want you to buy. And what is he doing with his cool, hot car? Oh, no, he's not on the highway. He's going off-road, because he's a rebel. Yeah, and rebels are cool. No, rebels are stupid. <laughs> and they color ugly pictures. There is nothing sexy, awesome, radical about being rebellious against God. It's like riding down the highway on your motorcycle and spitting in the wind. (laughs) Oh, but you're cool as it 
runs down your face. No, you're stupid. God says there's a path to go on. If you walk on it, I will bless you. If you follow after me, I will bless you. Come on, folks, this isn't rocket science. There is a direction, a course that's been set. And I'll just say this, I shared it last week. All the Vogue, cool, whatever, you know, which I get so tired of because every week there's the latest whatever's cool in America. I'll tell you what God respects. God respects people that honor his word and walk the course through thick or thin after 40, 50 years like mom and dad have done. And at the end of your life, all the young bucks sit back and go, you know what? Those people did something right. I want to be like them. There was no flash sometimes. There's no fireworks. Sometimes it looks boring. But you know what? If you stay on the highway, you will get to your destination and you will look back and you'll go, I have walked in the blessing of God for 50 years. That will be your testimony, not from a theoretical standpoint, but from an experiential standpoint. You will have stories with the living God. That's cool. And let me just tell you, it passes the cool test because it's cool forever. I want to be cool forever. Yeah. Think on that for a while. Check out this next verse. I love it. Psalm 119, 44 and 45. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. Look what verse 45 says. And I will walk in freedom. Anybody want freedom this year? I will walk in freedom. Why? Because I've devoted myself to your commandments. Isn't this crazy? The freest place you'll ever be in your life is when you're anchored to the truth of God's word. Isn't that a paradox? We think freedom means casting all care to the wind and doing whatever's in our heart to do and being authentic to my true self. You don't even know your true self until you open up the Bible. It's like a mirror that reveals who you are. It's a paradox. When I'm chained to the commandments of God, I am living in maximum freedom. Isn't that weird? But that's God's word to us. Look at Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your instructions have great peace, and they do not stumble. Anybody want some peace in 2017? God said, well, here's how you can have it. Love my instructions. You know what would be the best way to demonstrate that we love God's instructions? Check this out. Woo! Read, 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 read. Meditate, chew on them. You can't love an instruction that you're not familiar with. I'm praying for this like in all my kids' lives. Dad, what are your instructions? I love them. I am waiting. If any of you think that happens in my family, knock it off. It doesn't happen in my family any more than it happens in your family. But wouldn't it be great? I I tell my kids this all the time. Don't wait for the instruction. Seek out how you might lessen the load. Isn't this good? Come Like, kids, listen to it. You'll have your parents wrapped around your fingers if you just do this. How might I serve you, mother? Or how, how might I? You feel the anointing on that one? Mother, how might I lift the burden from your shoulders so that you might be able to have a Calgon moment right now or something like that? I don't know. And after your mother falls to the ground unconscious and comes back too, listen for her instruction. What if we approach God's words that way? Lord, speak to me this morning. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. 
I bet God would give us some really great insight, wouldn't he? What the doctrine of sufficiency or the attribute of sufficiency reminds us is that there are no excuses for disobedience. Because, you know, it's amazing how we like to claim ignorance over things where God has been abundantly clear. Now, I'm going to let another theologian speak on my behalf. This is uh, the Danish theologian Kierkegaard. I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm going to get to him in a minute. Hold on. I got ahead of myself. I was so excited because it's such a great quote. You're just going to have to wait. Stay hidden in my confusion. All right. Number three, the sufficiency of Scripture means that we don't add or subtract from the Bible. Listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 4.2, do not add or subtract from these commandments I'm giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. How many of you understood that? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Look at Deuteronomy 12.32. Be careful to obey all the commands I give you. You must not add anything to them or subtract anything from them. Did everybody have an easy time understanding all that? Isn't that good? Every cult in America has an additional book because God wasn't sufficient or God had an afterthought. The Mormons have an additional revelation. God had an afterthought. Oh, yeah, God's, God's speaking some more. In other words, the Bible wasn't sufficient. The Jehovah's Witness have their extra book because God wasn't sufficient. Every cult, every, every organization that gets off track has the Bible and something else. But God says, don't add or subtract to what I have spoken. Don't add or take away. That means a couple of things. Number one, it means we can't approach the Bible like it's a, uh, uh, you know, you've ever been to the salad bar and you pick and choose which parts you want on your salad. No, that's called subtracting. That's called, ooh, I don't like that part. I mean, we have people in America that they call themselves red-letter Christians. That means the only part that they really take seriously is the red letters, because that's what Jesus said. Well, there's a problem with that, because Jesus validated the entire Old Testament, which was the Bible at the time that everybody, that was their Bible. What are the holy scriptures that Paul was talking to Timothy? It was the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. That's what it was. God does not split his word into good parts and bad parts, red parts and black parts or whatever. This is all the word of God, and you eat it all. You don't cut parts out that you don't like. Well, God, you seem so harsh back in Exodus. Deal with it. He's objective reality. You're talking to God and his word like you're going to adjust him to make sure he's palatable for now? Suck it up. Elevate your understanding of the word of the Lord. God determines what's true and real. Not American culture, not the universities, not the evening news. God determines what's real, and this is all his word. Our job is to eat it. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live our lives for the glory of God. That's the point. 
Scripture, don't cut it, don't add to it, eat it. The whole thing, mashed potatoes, the peas, everything. Uh, Whether you like it or not, it's good for us and receive it and let our lives be shaped accordingly. All right, let's get to the second one here. I'm going to blast through these. The clarity of Scripture. Some of you guys, especially, I say guys, uh, both genders, uh, but let me clarify. Some of you men in particular will often say something like this. You know, I just can't understand the Bible. It's just too hard. Just too hard. That is a sacred cow that you need to kill in your life because if you keep believing that stinking lie, you're going to be the one that is depraved uh, from the truth that God wants to give you and from the blessing that comes by reading and obeying the word of the Lord. I want to prove to you and prove to all of you that that is a bold-faced lie. Is the Bible too hard for us to understand? Well, let's go back to our previous point, the sufficiency of Scripture. If the Bible's too hard to understand, then what hope do you have in finding Christ as your Savior and knowing what God expects from you? the Bible's too hard to understand, you would have no hope of ever being saved or ever understanding what expectations God has on our life. So we better hope the Bible's clear because our our eternal destination is hanging in the balance. We better hope God's clear. I'm going to show you that the Bible is a plain book and the scriptures are clear about what they are about. If the Bible as a whole is unclear or impossible, we are in deep trouble. Now here's the problem. We love to claim ignorance, our fallen nature that is. We love to claim ignorance because we have learned that if we're ignorant, we're not responsible. Now, I know I'm not speaking to any of you, but if you have kids, you know, you, know, you walk into the room, there's the crime scene, and you go, what happened? What? You know, it's a disaster. I told you about the pop all over my ceiling in my boy's room. What's that? What? elevate I don't know Um, it's amazing so here's the deal we go you know what if we don't read the Bible we won't know what God says and if we don't know what God says then maybe when we stand before him he'll cut us some slack because we're stupid bad strategy I'm just helping you guys out bad strategy No, we cannot claim that approach. Here's my Kierkegaard quote. I love this. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. He said it. We pretend to be unable to understand because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. That was good, wasn't it? Scheming swindlers. Come on, just admit it. That scheming swindler exists inside of all of us. Sometimes we read the Bible. In fact, that's my next quote from Mark Twain, who was not a theologian and not a godly man. But this is what Mark Twain said. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. If it were only that simple, you know, if it was just those obscure parts that bothered us. But no, it's the plain, simple teaching of the Bible that messes with us. And I want you to see something here. Point number one, Jesus never blames the scriptures for being unclear. Did you ever see in the Bible where people came to Jesus and they said, well, Lord, and he said, I understand. The Bible is so hard to understand. Just relax. It's not a big deal. No, you'll never see Jesus talk that way. 
In fact, look at how Jesus talks to people. This is Matthew 12, verses 3 and 5. Jesus says to them, haven't you read in the scriptures? Look at what he says in verse 5. Haven't you read in the law of Moses? What is taking place here? Jesus is assuming everyday ordinary people can read the word of God and understand what it says. This is amazing. Look what he says in Matthew 12, 42. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the Bible, in the scriptures? If Jesus were here today, he'd be saying, hey guys, didn't you read that? Didn't you read what I wrote? Didn't you read what was in my Bible? He'd be looking at us like, seriously? I mean, you know, Americans of all people are without excuse. We have access to gazillions of translations, and how many Bibles do we have access to in this country? And I can just hear the words of the Lord saying, didn't you guys read that? In fact, look at what he said. This is good. Jesus said this to the ones who were supposed to be the Bible experts, the Pharisees, Matthew 22, 29. Jesus says this, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. These guys had had it memorized inside and out, but they didn't know the scriptures and they didn't have a knowledge of the power of God. How many of you know the purpose of the scriptures is not to store it away in our brains so we could argue and fight about it, but the purpose of the scriptures is to transform us to look like Jesus so we can actually encounter the living God and the power of God changes me. In other words, when you read the Bible, it should leave a mark. We should be repenting or we should be rejoicing. We should be acting. We should be moving. We should be doing a lot of things. But the one thing we should never be doing after reading the Bible is sitting there with a dumb look on our face. (laughs) All right, no. We need to obey the word because the word is clear. Jesus assumed that we had the ability to read and understand the scriptures. Second point I want to make here is that scripture is addressed to common folks, not to religious experts. Now, this is good news because I don't know about you, but I'm a common folk. I was raised right here in Lake County, Indiana. I'm a region rat. How about you? Any region rats out there? I'm a region rat. This this is blue county or blue collar. This is steel country. I mean, this is common, ordinary folk. And guess what? Jesus is talking to you. He expects that you and I, we can understand what the Bible says enough to know how to reach him, how to receive him, and how to follow him accordingly. Check this out, Matthew 12, 37. The Bible tells us that when Jesus taught the common people, everybody say common people. Common people heard him gladly. They weren't going, what's this smart rascal saying? I can't figure him out. No, they weren't saying that. Common people were going, yeah, man, wasn't that incredible? They loved hearing God teach which meant God knows how to speak our language in a way that we understand it. When the Lord addressed all of Israel, this is Deuteronomy 6, 4, he said, listen, oh Israel, he's talking to the entire audience of God's people, and he expected them to listen. You all know that most of the epistles in the New Testament weren't written to individuals, they were written to the whole church, to all y'all, which meant that when they read The letters from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God was speaking to every single person, and all were expected to understand and then to be able to obey and to grasp what was being taught. I love that. And how about this? This is amazing. Even parents are expected to know God's Word and to teach it to their kids, which means that not only parents get it, but the kids get it. Isn't this amazing? Look at Deuteronomy 
6, 6 through 7. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. The purpose again was that we get it and we share these principles with our children and that the kids get it. Now, Now I'm talking to the guys here again. If God expects children to be able to understand his word and to get it, How can we sit back and put our Bible on the shelf and say, you know, I just can't read the Bible. It's just too hard for me to understand. I'm telling you, children will stand up on their great day and bring an indictment against us if we believe that lie. I'm just telling you, don't go for the lie. Point number three, we're we're wrapping it up. God expected that all of his people be able to know and discuss his word and to apply it to the ordinary situations of life. Look at Psalm 19, verse 8. I love this. Psalm 19, verse 8. The life maps of God are right, showing the way of joy. The directions of God are plain, the Bible says. Check that out. And easy on the eyes. This is so good. This is a life map that if I follow it, where does it lead me? It leads me to joy. Anybody want to go there? <laughs> Where do you want to go on vacation? I want to go to joy. Yes, come on. I want to live a life filled with supernatural joy. How do I get there? I follow the life map. Well, pastor, it's so hard to understand. No, the directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. Isn't that beautiful? So you go before the, the Lord, you say, Lord, thank you. This is a life map. This is to show me how to live And I thank you that it's plain and easy on the eyes. Holy Spirit, help me understand God's truth. And then you jump on in. You'll be amazed at what God shows you. Look at the next verse here, Psalm 119, 130. The teaching of your word gives light. So even the simple can understand it. Isn't that awesome? Even the simple can understand it. So here's what we need. We need willing hearts. And we need a holy helper. How many of you know your problem is not your intellect? In fact, some of you are going, man, I just didn't do good in school, and I I feel like I'm not a good reader, and you know, that all may be the case. But listen, the Bible is not something that you have to go out and get a million degrees before you can even crack it open and get something from it. If you, I have seen people that struggled reading a million other things, and they came before the Lord, and they said, God, this is your word. Will you help me? Learn how to understand and read your word. And guess what God did? Supernaturally gave them ability to understand and apprehend the word of God. In fact, some of the most powerful preachers, I was just reading about John Bunyan. You know John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, an uneducated cobbler. You read his works and they are so pregnant with scripture. Because you know what? He did a lot of jail time for preaching the gospel. And in jail, he spent a lot of time in the presence of God and reading this book and all of his writings. They they say when you would prick John Bunyan, he would bleed the Bible. I think of William Carey, an uneducated cobbler who went to India and transformed the nation uh, because he was a man of God. Now hear me, this is not anti-education. Study the Bible. Pursue degrees, whatever you can. But I'm just telling you this. Focus on your heart first. Focus on your heart first. I was sharing this this morning. You know, how many of you have figured out as a parent that, that uh, approaches everything, like the way your kids approach you? Like if I say, hey, son, come here. And my son comes up and he says, what? 
That's not a good approach. Because there's already like what? Like you're 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 bothering my agenda. Like like yeah, you, what do you need? Bad approach. And you know it's the same way when we approach the Bible. We're here to approach God. We want to hear from Him through His Word. And how many of you know if you get into the time card thing, like I did my daily devotions, out the door, like you know, I read my two paragraphs. What? It's like you're going, what? I'm done. I'm moving on. How many know the whole purpose of this is relationship? And if I, if Dick Bastard wrote a book and I'm enjoying it, I I get to chapter three and I get to the second paragraph and I'm like, I'm not. That that paragraph does not make any sense to me. What should I do to get the meaning of chapter three, paragraph two? I could pray, but there's a better solution. I should go talk to Dick Bashta because he's the author. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? Pastor Dick, what do you mean? Chapter three, paragraph two. Oh, and this is what was in my heart. Ah, that was awesome because I have a relationship. I went to the author. I asked him humbly to explain himself. I got revelation. Guess what you do with the Bible? Go to the author. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Ask him. Holy Spirit, help me to understand the word of God. Now let me say this too. When we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, don't take it to the other extreme. I don't need any of you. I don't need any teachers. I don't need any Bible scholars. I don't need nobody. It's me and the Holy Ghost and my Bible. Don't do that. You ain't that smart. How I many of you know it's foolish not to glean from the wisdom of godly people who have gone before us and who have studied the word and who have been, had, had more knowledge, more time, more study, more whatever, sit at their feet, listen to them too, but then come back, have your own relationship with God and ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation because listen, the Holy Spirit wants to personalize the word into your heart. I didn't say give you a private interpretation. Because how many of you know there are no private interpretations? And God's not going to tell something to you that he added on to the last chapter of Revelation because he forgot and he added that just for you. It also means if an angel shows up in your room and starts adding to the Bible, you know where that angel came from, all right? That ain't a holy angel. I don't care what kind of glory you thought filled the room, all right? The sufficiency of Scripture means God has spoken to us. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness and salvation in a book. And he's actually filled you with the one who authored the scriptures. So we have a beautiful advantage. Now let me just say this. If you're an unsaved person and you don't know God, I think the Bible's going to be very unclear to you because the Bible's clear that if you don't have the author living inside of you, you're not going to understand most of it. But you know what you will understand? There's a God, and God has spoken, and he's given us commandments, and he's coming back to judge the earth, and there's a heaven and there's a hell. How many know that's enough to get you interested? I say that tongue-in-cheek. That's enough to stir up at least an awareness that there's a God and I better have a relationship with him. But we have been given the Holy Spirit, our holy helper, to help us understand. Now let me make one more clarification. I did not say that the Bible is simple everywhere. I said that the Bible is clear. There's a difference. How many of you know when you're a baby Christian, we don't say, hey, we're going to turn you on to Leviticus. 
Now, Pastor Dick loves Leviticus because Leviticus is full of amazing treasures about the holiness of God. But you know what? We're not going to send you there first. We'll probably send you to the Gospel of John, right? So you can read about Jesus and all that he's doing. And, oh, my goodness, and you're there. And, oh, it's incredible. And he's speaking to you about how to know him and how to have a relationship with him. We're not going to send you to the book of Romans where you can probe the depths of the sovereignty of God and justification by faith and all this kind of wonderful truths. Now, listen, those are incredible truths. And praise God, he's given us people in the body of Christ to help us unpackage the depth of the beauty of those truths because it's deep water. It's not that it's unclear, though. It's just that sometimes it's tough to understand. Now, let me mention this because I think this is hilarious. Maybe I'm wrong to think it's hilarious, but I think it is. 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16, Peter says this about Paul. Two apostles, both writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter says some of Paul's comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different from what Paul meant, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. I mean, you know, you don't want to be a Scripture twister because it results in your destruction. But Peter was just saying, hey, There are some parts of Paul's letters that are harder to understand than others. Okay, we get that. It doesn't mean they're not inspired. It doesn't mean they're not clear. It means you have some work to do. It means you have to dive in. You have to study to show yourself approved. I end with this, Psalm 119, verses 18 and 19. The psalmist cried out, Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Don't hide your commandments from me. I want you to think back for a minute. Most of us are living in a, still an American culture where we still have uh, many biblical values from a Christian worldview that are part of the legacy of people who have gone before us. But I want you to imagine if you were dropped on a foreign country and you didn't know anything about anything, you didn't know who God was, if there was a God, and you certainly had no idea about how to live or what was right or what was wrong. Wouldn't you be grateful if a supernatural being named God came into your life and said, you know what, I'm trying to help you out. Chris, you don't have to figure it out by yourself. If you will follow this map, you will know my heart, and I give you 7,000 plus promises of blessing on your life so that you know how to please me and that you will please me forever because you'll come into relationship with me through my son and you're going to enjoy forever with me in the most incredible life. This is my gift to you. You would be going, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you were lost in the middle of nowhere just trying to find a gas station and someone came up to you and said, this is a map of every gas station in a 50-mile radius, you would kiss them and hug their feet, all right? Because you'd be so happy that you were no longer lost. How many of us this week could, could open up our Bibles and say this to the Lord? Lord, open my eyes that I could see wondrous things from your law. I mean, you know, that's an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of, of going low before God, of dependence, desperation, saying, God, speak to me. Do you think God would honor a heart that came to him like that? I promise you. He will honor a heart like that. And God will speak to you. And God will give you direction. And God will give you wisdom. I got to tell you one last story. I know this is my fourth closing. I'm sorry, but I got this pops into my mind. Just this week, I was looking at the governor giving out these Sagamore Awards. And I was in my prayer time, and that thought came to my mind. I thought, you know what? I would love for my mother and father to be honored for all the years 
of service and all the lives that have been touched, the marriages that have been healed, families that have been healed, kids that went from that family. I mean, we're talking multiple generations. That thought came across my mind, and I just uttered, uttered it up as a simple prayer to the Lord. Do you know, it was two days later, Mike Neal called me up. I didn't call Mike Neal up. I wasn't trying behind the scenes to push all the levers. Two days later, Mike Neal called me up and said, I want to come up, and we want to, the governor wants to honor your parents with this award. Now, I just think that's remarkable. And here's what else happened. It let me know that even the simplest little thoughts that come across my mind in the presence of God are me walking in a relationship with God that matters. It's knowing that God hears my cries, knowing that God is inspiring my thoughts, knowing that God has promised to give me the desires of my heart as I delight in him. And you know what happened more than anything? When I got off the phone with Mike, I felt like the biggest kiss from my heavenly father because I thought, God, only you could make something like this happen. That only happens if you try to have a relationship with God. And when you try to have a relationship, I'm no expert on this. I, I'm still, there's still aspects of my life that I think stink. And I'm like, God, help me. I'm a pastor. I stink at this. Help me. Help me. I need help. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I need help. And half the time I feel like I'm walking in the dark. But you know what? If you keep walking the same direction in the dark, trusting the Lord, you realize you're not in the dark at all. God's directing you. And what keeps you from being in the dark is that you stay connected, listen, through worship, corporately, through prayer, through the word of God, fellowship with other believers, honoring your other relationships and commitments, doing the right thing, walking in integrity, and seeking the Lord with your heart, having a heart that's Godward. And I'm telling you, God will save you and keep you and direct you, and he will speak to you, and he will be there for you in your greatest moment of need, and God will confirm that that crazy thought that you had was him all along. And there's nothing greater. I remember driving down the road one time, just worshiping my guts out in my little VW Scirocco that we had. Marion's brother gave it to her for a Christmas present. I stole it and drove it to work every day. And I was worshiping my guts out. I mean, you know how when, when you don't get, this is like the country, no one's even looking. There's no human beings out there. There's corn. And I was just, I mean, I was making a total fool of myself for Jesus. I was glad there, there was nobody, social media was not even around then. <laughs> And I heard as clear as could be my heavenly father tell me how much he loved me and how proud of me he was. I about drove into the cornfields. I had to put the brakes on and get off on the side of the road. I was crying so hard. I love it when God talks to you like his own son or his own daughter. Isn't that awesome? That's what he wants to do. The word is just an introduction to the heart of God. The the word leads us to God who loves us. The word gives us promises from God's heart. So believe him this year. I talked to a lady first service. She said, Pastor, I used to have to work every single Sunday. I told him, I don't want to work on Sundays. I need to worship the Lord. She says, I'm here today. I'm making a commitment. That lady is going to be blessed this year. You know why? She's believing God. She's pursuing God. And God is going to meet her. She went through a terrible tragedy, terrible loss in her, in her life. 
that, that, that was just so profound and so painful. She is setting herself up for a massive God encounter that's going to take that pain and it's going to set her on a whole new direction. See, God watches. God cares. God's looking. God's watching us. God's, God's watching our behavior. He's watching if we believe him. He's watching if we honor his word. And he cares about it. He really does. And if you will be somebody that makes God matter in the sense that you make him matter in your life, his word matters, his priorities matter, God will make sure you matter in his life in a profound way. You'll experience that. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for your people. Bless us today, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, we want to apply it like never before. Believe you, trust you, and walk in your word. Lord, let this week be a week where we're overtaken with the presence of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, and the fruitfulness, Lord, of being able to share your word with others. We love you. We bless you. We just give you today. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. All right, blessings to you. Have a great great day. If you need prayer, come on down. We want to pray for you.